Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott, where we explore the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and gain rare historical insights into how a young farm boy was able to establish a new church and grow it by way of visions, manifestations, and miracles. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. In this week's podcast, uh, it's getting close to the holiday season, and my favorite holiday movie is It's a Wonderful Life. I absolutely love it. So this is going to be just a movie review show now. That's what this yeah. is. This turned yeah. into so, a cinephile podcast. Yeah, well, where I'm we, just talking we about ran Frank out Capra. of church history, um, or out of church history that's either interesting. We 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 essentially spent it all on all the politics for the last three. So now, <laughs> now, so now no, we're going to talk about uh, that when that gym floor separates and the pools beneath it. We're going to talk about that. All right. So it's a wonderful minutes. life. Yeah. I do love that movie. It is actually my favorite movie. And the idea of everybody coming together at the end and that no man is alone that has friends, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful movie and, and uh, kind of theme to the movie. But there's a part to the movie where it's kind of repeated several times, and it's the idea that every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about angels in this podcast. Yeah, and and being an expert that I am, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> part of the reason why I want to talk about it is that I'm guessing that you know, as you're setting up your Christmas tree, I don't know whether or not you know you do that after Thanksgiving. There are probably still some of you who wait until actually Christmas Eve because it's a tradition to trim the tree on Christmas Eve. Although I'm guessing nearly all of us do it earlier, but that you know, what do you put at the top of the tree? Well, you put an angel at the top of the tree, a star at the top of the tree. You know, there's there's two different ways that you can, uh, you can you, well, many different ways you can top the tree. Well, I remember having a conversation uh, with with my, my mom about the angel that we had on top of our tree when I was a little kid. And it, we had watched It's a Wonderful Life, but but the the conversation was about the fact that we had an angel that had you know wings on it, and my mom said something to the effect of that, well, you know, angels don't really look like this; they don't really have wings. And you know, I I I was kind of crushing right because in my life that's the only way I'd have really thought about angels. And I mean, how are angels supposed to fly? I mean, if they're flying, they've got wings. I mean, that's when you're a kid. I mean, things with wings fly, and things without wings they fall, and that's. You know, or anything you attempt to do, it just falls. So uh, that was one of the thoughts. And, and so I think it's kind of an interesting thing to maybe take uh, the podcast today and talk about that one of the most unique aspects of Latter-day Saint theology is our understanding of angels. There are lots of things that we can talk about, and heaven knows we've talked about some of them, that make Latter-day Saints as blasphemous as anyone's ever been as far as a Christian's concerned. I mean, we haven't even, we haven't talked about the King Follett sermon yet. That's, that's a future like eight podcast series probably, but we did do Doctrine and Covenant section 93. We did Doctrine and Covenant section 76. The, the, the reality is there are these theologies that are so far outside of the Christian mainstream that they, they place Latter-day Saints in a category all their own. A doctrine that makes an example, uh, that's an example of this is, is the idea of a preexistent life. No other Christians believe that we existed before we were born outside of the fact that God knew he was going to create us. And so we exist in, in that regard. So, so that's a very radical doctrine makes, makes our understanding of who we are very different. Maybe it doesn't matter to us as much, and maybe it's a little bit, you know, it, it, you know, you might even think it's kind of trite. But Latter Day Saints have uh, an understanding of angels that is entirely different from the rest of the Christian world, and they actually they actually factor really prominently in early Latter Day Saint history. Who are the people that are visiting Joseph Smith? How is Joseph Smith receiving all of these keys that he's receiving? He's receiving them from these 
angels. So I think I want to talk a little bit about how our theology of angels differs from standard Christian theology. So I think one of the places to start talking about this difference is yeah, it, it, you have to kind of get outside of your own Latter-day Saint mold. And that's really hard to do because you have always, well, I don't indict everybody. I'm sure that there's you know, half the people listening. I've always known this, but, but the, at least for me, whenever I've thought about angels, ever since the conversation with my mom, when I was a little kid, I've thought of angels as being people and not just like looking like people, but that angels are essentially, you know, dead people that came back to visit basically. And, and this is reinforced of course, for Latter-day Saints, because who is it that's there in Joseph's room talking to him about the fact that there's gold plates buried in a hill? Well, it's an angel standing in the air, but that angel is actually Moroni. So this isn't just, Hey, I'm an angel sent here as a messenger for you, Joseph. It is hey, I know where they're buried because I'm the one who buried them. I don't need to get a map. You know, this, I'm, I'm literally the same person who did it. And, and you're thinking, well, yeah, that's, that's what angels are. Angels are, you know, deceased people who, who used to live on, on this earth. It's probably going to come as a surprise to at least some of you. Again, I know that there's some of you right now yelling at the podcast saying, not me. I already knew all of this. I'm sure you did, but um, Christians don't believe that angels are the spirits of departed people. Christians believe that angels, like humans, are created beings that God created out of nothing. And he created them specifically for the purpose of, of aiding God in his relations with mankind. So that, that's why that the, the pre-existent life, understanding that there's not a pre-existent life matters a lot because Latter-day Saints believe that we've always existed. And that's what we talked about Doctrine and Covenants section 93. Well, in, in that sense, we are in some way co-eternal with gods. We are the same type of being that God is. So already as a Latter-day Saint, you are so far down the blasphemy rabbit hole that, you know, you're, you, you can't even take the right pill to get to the right size anymore. You're, you're so far away from where Christians are on that point. Well, our understanding of angels follows this similar pattern where the beings that reside in the afterlife and for us, the pre-mortal life are not mythical, crazy creations that, you know, have 18 horns and 15 legs and seven wings. They're, they're all the same type of being. They're people. They are, they are people who are either spirits who have not yet received a body, spirits who have received a body and then have become disembodied, or they are spirits who have been resurrected and now have a perfected body. So as an example of this, Garrett, um, when we read a passage about a third of the hosts of heaven falling, uh, a Latter-day Saint reads that as evidence of the pre-mortal existence. Yeah, a Latter-day Saint sees, you know, because look, the, the idea of the third of the hosts of heaven falling is not strictly found in Latter-day Saint scripture. You can find it in, the God, in, in Jude in the New Testament a description of, of the host falling. You find it in Revelation, right? You 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 have the discussion of, of, of Lucifer falling. A Latter-day Saint, because of their doctrine of the preexistence, views that as here are a third of our Heavenly Father's spirit children who rebel against him and follow a different plan. Follow, you know, they 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 refuse to follow uh, the Father's plan, which involves the Savior, and therefore they they rebel and are cast out. That is just not how a Christian reads that. The way Christians read it, again, the fundamental principle you start with is God created everything out of nothing, and nothing has a pre-existence. Now, in this sense, angels 
can pre-exist the world and us because God created them. But there was a time when all angels didn't exist. God creates them for the purpose of helping him carry out his work, bringing him glory. Whatever the reason why he creates them doesn't matter. What matters is they are not people. They're not people. They are beings. Some of them might be created to look more like people because they're going to be interacting with people. But there's a reason why it's not a real difficult thing for a Christian to envision an angel the way that it's, you know, described uh, in parts of the Bible, right? With, you know, a seraphim with, with, you know, multiple sets of wings and, and, and four different faces and the face of an ox and the face of a man and the face of a lion. The, the reason why you can conceive of that if you're a Christian is an angel isn't a person. An angel is a separate type of being. And in fact, mankind's lower than the angels, right, according to that. But so this this also goes to the fact that, you know, a, a, another significant um, difference is this idea that, that mankind, we are also a creation like, like yeah. an angel. We're, we're all creations, just different types of creations. Now, man's this favored creation of God as far as Christians are concerned, but Angels and people are not the same thing. And that's the fundamental, this dividing point. Before Joseph Smith knows anything about what will be revealed to him as a theology, one of the first things he knows in 1823, one of the first things he knows in 1824, the first thing he knows is that, that this being that's standing before him is a person who used to live on this earth. So he's not just, you know, there, there are no wings, even though he's floating in the air there, there is no multiple faces. There's not six and seven wings covering him. He he's a person and, and introduces himself as such, right? That he is this, that he's someone who used to live. Joseph is going to have multiple encounters with angels from John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John to Michael, the archangel, Joseph's going to have multiple experiences with angels. All of them are not these mythical beast-like creatures, but in fact, they're people. And that is radically different from what Christians at least theologically. But now look, if you ask your average Christian, you know, they might think, well, I think of my grandpa as being a guardian angel kind of thing. I'm not talking about what your average Christian believes. I'm talking about theologically, the difference between an angel and a person in Christian theology. In Christian theology, people are creations and angels are creations. And so when they talk about Satan or Lucifer falling from heaven, they don't mean one of father's spirit children who rebelled against him. They mean one of the archangels that God created rebelled against him and was cast out with other angels. So this actually brings up the theological point. Well, so to go back in the presidential election in 2000. It's always back to politics. It always is. If we could bring it back. Yeah. We're talking about angels. We're going to talk about the atonement. Is there anyone we can talk about politics? Well, I've got it right here. It was perfect. So in 2012, when um, Governor Mike Huckabee, governor of Arkansas, or former governor of Arkansas, was running for president against uh, then former governor of Massachusetts, Mitt Romney, in an interview, I believe it was with the New York Times, he asked a question of the reporter, knowing full well the answer, by the way. But he asked, don't Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers? And what you're describing here, uh, there might be Latter-day Saints that hear that and say, well, that seems like a silly thing right. to even say. Why Why is it that he would do that? Yeah, or well, be but, so it's such well, an offensive thing. Well, I, mean, I know why he did so, it. So surprisingly, <laughs> sometimes people make political statements in order to tarnish their opponents so that's interesting okay yeah it 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 rarely happens but occasionally people will say things negatively 
simply to besmirch their opponent. Let me rephrase. Not why did he say it. Why <laughs> Why was it kind of this thing that, that he would say? Well, and it's not just him. I mean, I, I would guess that there's at least a considerable number of you living... It, living well i hope you're if you're not alive stop listening to this podcast right now you need as many listeners as we can okay actually download it even though you're dead which means you could be an angel uh but uh the uh the i was gonna say i guess most people have probably heard someone say that you might have on a mission heard someone say that you might have a friend who said something like that because it's kind of a throwaway line for a Christian to, to make Latter-day Saint faith seem ridiculous. Now, when they say that to you, it's really frustrating because it's like, well, well, I guess, yeah, technically Jesus and Satan are brothers because we're all brothers and sisters because we're all the spirit children of God. Now they're saying that because how could you possibly equate the son of God, Jesus, who has always existed in Christian theology, who is God in Christian theology, with a dirty, fallen, horrific creation of God, which is Satan. And so what what they're doing when someone says that, I mean, maybe they're asking a very honest question, but in, in his Huckabee's case, he wasn't. Um, what they're really trying to do is they're they're attacking your your belief in the divinity of the Savior, right? That if you're saying that a created being that had the ability to become evil is even related to, I mean, look, none of us want to be blamed for what our relatives do. I mean, my goodness. I mean, if we were all condemned for the things our relatives do, none of us would ever come out in public at all, right? I mean, so... So it's not that. That's not so much the point. The point that's trying to be made is you Mormons think that Jesus and Satan are even similar to one another in in what they are, right? And, And they're not as far as Christians are concerned. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is forever being begotten from the Father, and there was never a time when he was not, and that's part of what is said of those early Christian councils. There is only Jesus from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? That That's... that's of the same substance, of the same everything. Right, yeah, so hom- the idea- homo usion. It is same substance, as the as the father they're the same one god well satan as an angel lucifer as an angel of god is none of those things he's not of the same substance he's not eternal he was created by god he's a created being he is that's what the word creature means he's a creature and so when someone says that what they're really denigrating is is how could you possibly think that the savior of mankind is even the same type of being as this created being Satan? Now, of course, the other thing they're carrying with it too is someone might hear that and not realize that in Latter-day Saint theology, because we believe everyone is a spirit son or daughter of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother, which is also blasphemous, um, that we're all brothers and sisters. All of us our brothers and sisters, from the best to the worst, from the least to the greatest, and including those evil spirits, including Lucifer, who rebelled against the Father in the pre-mortal life. In many ways, Latter-day Saint theology injects humans into the role of angels prior to this life in the way that Christians perceive it. So Christians are able to perceive of angels doing God's bidding before this world is created, living up with God, doing whatever God wants them to do. But but people, of course, are only created at the moment of, of conception or birth, depending on who you talk to. But for angels, no, they they, they, they are these, these creations. For Latter-day Saints, we are saying uh, well, the prophet Joseph Smith is teaching and, and our, our continued prophetic utterance is that we are all spiritual beings that had a pre-mortal existence with our father. And some of those beings who are 
the children of heavenly parents, they rejected the plan of the Father. They rejected the plan of happiness. And they chose to follow Lucifer as Lucifer's cast out. That's that rebellion in the war in heaven isn't a rebellion of angels. It's actually far, far worse than that. It's a rebellion of the children of God. It's a rebellion of, of fathers, own sons and daughters. So that places all angels, whether fallen or still, you know, uh, serving God in a completely different category. And that's one of the things that Joseph Smith is going to spend a lot of time teaching. So, I mean, I think most of people are familiar with, and and maybe I'll start with this because people are familiar with it, Doctrine and Covenants section 129. Uh, This is something that's excerpted from uh, journal and and it's, you know, it's it's later added to um, the Doctrine and Covenants, Um, but it's at least we're familiar with it. Joseph teaching, there are two kinds of beings in heaven, namely, Angels who are resurrected personages having bodies of flesh and bones. Uh, For instance, Jesus said, handle me and see for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Secondly, the spirits of just men made perfect who are not resurrected, but inherit the same glory. So Joseph is presenting these two separate classes in in heaven. So in heaven, where God dwells, there are men and women who have been resurrected and have bodies and are perfected. And there are men and women who have not yet been resurrected, but are the spirits of just men made perfect. Meaning that it's, it's all but the resurrection for them. They, they're, they're all ready to go. But notice that, that neither of those classes is a creation. All of the angels are in fact, related uh, to us. Let me go to a, a Joseph Smith sermon that he gives um, where he I- illustrates this. <clears throat> he says, he's talking about baptism for the dead and how important it is, but he says, he explained, the, uh, this is being recorded, he explained the difference between an angel and a ministering spirit. The one, a resurrected or translated body with its spirit ministering to embodied spirits the other, a disembodied spirit, visiting and ministering to disembodied spirits. Jesus became, a, so this, and this is where it's going to start running off the rails if you're a Christian listening in and just trying to figure out what Latter-day Saints believe. Um, Jesus Christ became a ministering spirit while his body, uh, laying in the, while his body was laying in the sepulcher to the spirits in prison to fulfill an important part of his mission without which he could not have perfected his work or entered into his rest. After his resurrection, he appeared as an angel to his disciples. Translated bodies cannot enter into rest until they have undergone a change equivalent to death. Translated bodies are designed for future missions. The angel that appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos was a translated or resurrected body. Jesus Christ went in body after his resurrection to minister to translated and resurrected bodies. There has been a chain of authority of power from Adam down to the present time. So Joseph's using this terminology almost exactly backwards from the way a Christian would use it. A Christian is saying an angel is a completely separate entity created by God. Joseph is saying angel is actually a status. It's, it's, a, it's a, a way of describing the state of one of our Heavenly Father's children. Even to the point where Joseph is, you know, as far as a Christian's concerned, spewing blasphemy by saying that Jesus is an angel when he appears to his, who is, to his disciples. Why? Because he has a resurrected body. And so that's that, that definition that's going to be uh, much more uh, stark, that angels are, are resurrected beings. Um, in fact, um, uh, Joseph's going to teach. Uh, let me, if we go forward a little bit here, I might pull this up. That these angels are... 
um, all connected to this world. In fact, let me let me actually go to this sermon first. Uh, Joseph Smith talking about this, he uh, says. This is in 1839. He's talking to the 12. He wanted for the 12. He wants for their benefit in their experience and their travels in the flesh, which is as follows in order to detect the devil when he transforms himself nigh unto an angel of light. Now that phraseology comes from the new Testament that the devil can transform himself, you know, into an angel of light as a way of deceiving people. In fact, Paul will reference this when he says, you know, to, to the, uh, the Galatians write, you know, that that we or an angel of heaven preach another gospel unto you, you know, let him stand a curse. But Joseph has also had this experience. What's covered in Doctrine and Covenants section 128 that we don't, is an experience that sounds incredible that we don't know anything about. Joseph is listing off the many experiences. You know, this is where the voice of God was, you know, was heard in the in the chamber of Father Whitmer. We have record of that. This is, uh, you know, the 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 angel Moroni proclaiming the gospel. This is the voice of the Lord uh, declaring the truthfulness of the book with the three witnesses. You know, and you've got all these things that are listed off, and all the angels and all their 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 keys as they come. And one of the things that Joseph lists is uh, that Michael the archangel appearing and detecting Satan when he had uh, appeared as an angel of light on the banks of the Susquehanna River. We have no account of this except Joseph's letter to the church that later becomes Doctrine and Covenants section 128. Well, if it's out on the banks of the Susquehanna River, I mean, it that means it's something that happened very early in the church's history. In fact, probably almost certainly means it happened before there was a church. Actually, it happened so early in the church's history that there wasn't even a church because Joseph, at, you know, the Susquehanna is, is harmony. Joseph's in harmony in 1828 and eight and until April of 1829. And after that, he moves to Fayette. He goes back to his farm occasionally to go work the farm down in harmony. But for the most part, he, he's gone. And so the most likely time that this experience happened where, where Lucifer appeared to Joseph trying to deceive him as though he were an angel is, is probably in 1828 or 1829. And, and then Michael, yet another, an actual angel is going to appear and say, and say, you know, this is, this is the, the evil, uh, the, this is Lucifer. Um, so this is something that's very much on Joseph's mind, you'll notice. Joseph has many angelic ministers coming to him, giving him keys, teaching him things. He's receiving revelations from angels. Doctrine and Covenants section 27 is received from an angel. Doctrine and Covenants uh, section 3 is received as an angel comes and returns Joseph Smith, uh, the, 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 the Urim and Thummim, as well as uh, the gold plates shortly thereafter. So Joseph's going to receive revelations from angels as well as, as them factoring in, into the theology, giving keys. So Joseph is, is, is actually concerned with the fact that he knows that evil spirits, including Lucifer, can and will and have attempted to deceive people by appearing as though they are angels. Joseph knows this firsthand because it's happened to him. So one of the things he's worried about is how will you know if an evil spirit appears to you and tries to, tries to tell you, um, in order to detect the devil, this is Joseph, when he transforms himself nine to an angel of light, when an angel of God appears unto a man face to face in personage and reaches out his hand unto the man. And he takes hold of the angel's hand and feels a substance, the same as one man would in shaking hands with another then he may know that it's an angel of God and he should place all the confidence in him. Such personages or angels are saints with their resurrected bodies. But if a personage appears into a man and offers him his hand and the, and the man takes hold of it and he feels nothing or does not sense any substance, he may know that it is the devil. For when a saint whose body is not resurrected appears in a man in the flesh, he will not offer his hand for this is against the law given him in keeping in mind that these things that we may detect the devil that he be not deceived. The, uh, this, 
a pattern that's put forward is something that Joseph is going to express on more than one occasion. So as you were as you were reading that, I was uh, brought back to many discussions on my mission. Now I served in the only true mission, the California Riverside Mission, and it was surprising how often this topic came up in district meetings and uh, companionship. Uh, Inventory sw- swaps. Well, where it was, where it was, where we <laughs> How were many always angels have hey, appeared hey, to hey, you, now, Elder. Now, now, Elder, you gotta know. If 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 you get, I mean, how many visitations are happening? And so this didn't happen in, in Wisconsin. You didn't have the because it was like, well, why don't you work on your area plan, Elder? Well, we've been really busy studying whether if if if, if we get a visitation, whether we shake its hand or not. I think in Wisconsin things were in such a bad state. We we would have taken even. <laughs> Even even the hands we couldn't shake, we would have taken. Like, that. Well, I mean, he's, yeah. he's got a really good point. At least someone's trying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. It was anyway. As you read that, it was funny. I, maybe it was just the, the time where the missionaries I was around, but it came up. That, that those specific things came up all the time to where it was like, is this really something that we think is is a main focus for you, Elder? Oh, absolutely. Well, no I mean, it, maybe they were having a lot of visitation. Well, that's what I'm saying. That. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. Well, so th- it is interesting that 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 this idea is so is so important that it is it is taught to them and again i think it's important to joseph because not only has he had numerous visitations from true angels who had keys to deliver or messages to deliver he's clearly also had false angels false spirits pretending and it, it's actually such an ingenious idea right that an evil spirit can't help but try to deceive you. So when he appears to you claiming to be an angel and you go to shake his hand, he's going to try to shake your hand because he can't help but try to deceive you. And in the very fact that you don't feel anything as your hand goes through it, well, then you know you're dealing with an evil spirit, right? Whereas if it's a spirit of a just man made perfect, whether it's a righteous spirit, but without a body, he won't attempt to take your hand because that would be deceiving you. Or if it's an angel, essentially, look, you're always on the best grounds. If you go to shake their hand and the angel grabs your hand, well then if you can feel a hand there, then you're doing, then you're doing better. Um, this is uh, a discussion that's further held in doctrine and covenants section 130 where Joseph describes something even further, right? Not only are all angels people, right? Not only are they all, they're all people, um, that they, they're all people that are part of this earth. They're not part of something else. So DNC 130, um, verse uh, four, and answer to the question is not the reckoning of God's time, angels time, prophets time, and man's time, according to the plan on which they reside. I answer Yes. But there are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who belong or have belonged to it. Okay. So anyone who's an angel is not a creation of God. They are a person who is either, you know, either a spirit who's going to eventually be a part of this earth or a spirit who has been a part of this earth. But, but that's it. That they're all people. Angels are are, are people. Um, this uh, is is also discussed in uh, another Joseph Smith sermon. I'm going to pull up here. So this this point is is made all the uh, clearer in a uh, October 1843 uh, sermon that that's recorded. Joseph says. A great many men suppose there is no difference between an angel and a spirit of a just man made perfect. But Paul makes a distinction in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. He tells us that the Hebrew church had came into the presence of God and angels and to the spirits of just men made perfect. The spirit of a just man made perfect, if he made his appearance, he would appear or be enveloped in flaming fire. And no man in this mortal state could endure it. But an angel could come and appear as an other man. For Paul says, be careful to, to entertain strangers for some have entertained angels unaware. 
but to prove spirits, view the Savior after his resurrection when he appeared to his disciples. They were afraid and thought that they had seen a spirit, but he convinces them of their mistake by telling them to handle him and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones you see me have. So part of uh, this theology of angels is 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 not to say that we can't have experiences with angels. Latter Day Saints believe in the ministering of angels. I mean, our entire theology of keys is based upon the fact that angelic ministrants have come and delivered those keys to other people. So we absolutely believe that that angels can appear to people. That it's not just to a prophet that an angel is going to appear. Now, Joseph, of course, makes that very clear distinction. We talked all the way back into our first or second podcast when he's writing to John Carter and tells him that if you have a heavenly manifestation or, or a visitation from a heavenly being, that it's for your own profit and instruction, but not for the church. So while we believe angels can appear to anyone, and, and look, there are people listening to this that have had some kind of experience from, from the other side where they have seen or spoken to a, a, a departed uh, friend, loved one, ancestor, or perhaps they've, they've had this angelic experience where they, they, they've, they've seen an angel. So we believe that you can see angels. This is not a matter of whether or not you know angels are only the the provenance of uh, of uh, the, sorry the province of 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 prophets and apostles. It's just that when that angel appears to you, he's not going to contradict what the prophet's teaching, because if if the prophet needs something from to be taught them from an angel, then the angel's going to go to the prophet. It's not going to come to you. Um, I don't know if we've exhausted the discussion on angels. I, I, I'm a little bit, you know, you know, I, I tell you all the time that my, my mom is essentially the only person who listens. Uh, and, and thankfully she, you know, clicks it four or five times trying to get it right. And I asked her last time she was listening to, um, she was listening to the one where we're talking about Joseph Smith's presidential run. Uh, the first one where we're heavily talking about, you know, politics and where we learned Richard doesn't know the phrase Tippecanoe and Tyler too, but does know Richard Mentor Johnson's uh Rumsey Dumpsey Rumsey Dumpsey. Yeah, yeah. Colonel Johnson shot it's the Cumsey. In, it's an inconsistency that really can't be explained in this life or the next. And my mom uh uh my mom's like, oh I just finished listening to your podcast. I'm like, oh what'd you think? And and she paused the way mothers pause when they're trying to figure out how to provide criticism, <laughs> but also not crush someone. And then she hesitatingly said something to the effect of, well, I like politics, but I don't know that everyone else does, which was her saying this was really boring. So now you can have a really boring um a really boring podcast about angels as well. Um, but what, one of the things that I wanted to, before we finish, I wanted to spend a little bit of time because there's a pretty cool intersection here. And that is Latter-day Saints don't have the same theology as, uh, as other Christians do when it comes to angels. There's a reason why we don't have images of angels with wings in most of our Latter-day Saint art, because we recognize that angels are in fact people and they look like people and they don't just suddenly grow wings when they get resurrected bodies. But what's very interesting is that this understanding of angels looking like people and being people rather than being some kind of mythical creature is actually something that has some historical presence. So I'm going to throw that over to Richard. Well, yeah, no, in an attempt to not be boring, I'm going to pull up a uh, academic article right. on art history. At from this point, 2000. people have already shut off the podcast. That's a fair point. Yeah, so, the only people listening now are people who fell asleep listening to the podcast, and it's just playing. It's it's white noise in the background. Perfect. So we're a box fan to them. Renee Dirkmont. Yeah, <laughs> Garrett's mom. Um, so essentially, there was an interesting. Um, there's an interesting article. We were we were looking kind of to this this idea of the Genesis, and and as uh, Garrett mentioned, angels, cherubims, they're mentioned throughout uh, Scripture. They're mentioned in 
um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, different types of creations and creatures all, all throughout. And we found an article in, in 2000. Um, it's called The Development of Winged Angels in Early Christian Art. And we'll, we'll put the link to the article. It's, it's only about 20 pages. And like any any good article, about a third of it is actually pictures, illustrations. Right. So that, that does help. Luckily, it's an art history article. <laughs> it is yeah. true. So it's, it's by Dr. Therese uh, Martin. And she earned her, her PhD in art history at the University of Pittsburgh. She works at the Spanish National Research Council. And she, she uh, published this paper uh, when she was a professor at the University of Arizona. And so I'll just read just a little bit here from, from that article. It was, it was pretty interesting. During the first centuries of Christianity, a specifically Christian iconography began to develop that included visual representations of angels, borrowing from classical imagery and Jewish sources. A new Christian art was created to illustrate the most important lessons from the Bible. The oldest surviving images of angels are in the catacombs of Rome. They date to the second half of the third century and the beginning of the fourth century. Because angels must take some form in order to be perceived as humans, they are often anthropomorphized. The earliest Christian angels are visually undifferentiated from men. Only a knowledge of the iconography allows the viewer to recognize that some of the figures that, allow, uh, that appear to be men are actually angels. Wings, which would soon become the most essential visual aspect of an angel, had not yet put in an appearance. The shift to winged angels took place during the 4th century, a time that saw the first legalization of Christianity and then the conversion of the Roman Empire to this relatively young religion. Wow. So so it unboxing that a little bit there. What 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 she's saying is through uh viewing that, that terminology iconography is, you know, it's it's a giant word, but meaning images, right? And and you know, paintings, stained glass, sculptures, ways of representing things from the divine that what her study demonstrates is that the earliest Christian images of angels, angels are actually represented looking just like men. She she goes on in the article to talk about in in the pre-fourth century uh, depictions of angels that they are just uh, more brilliant in terms of kind of their their essence or, or, or whatever it so is. They, so they look just like people but have more glory which is exactly the way that Joseph Smith describes them and describes the angel Moroni when the angel Moroni appears to him in his room. Uh, I think that's an interesting, an interesting tidbit that I would guess most, I would guess even most Christians don't know that there's a development in the way that angels are depicted. They aren't always depicted with wings. They eventually come to be depicted with wings. And I'm sure someone who's an, uh, an ancient historian listening you're not listening, but if you were, <laughs> first of all, there's no one who's an ancient historian. And secondly, if you were, you weren't listening. But, but thirdly, if they were listening and paying attention that, that, you know, they might, you know, uh, shed a lot more light on this, but you know, the, the, the Eagle's wings, wings in general are seen as a symbol of power in, in, uh, especially in the pagan Roman empire that the, the legions march out under standards that are under Eagle's wings. It makes a lot of sense to me that as Christians are trying to convey the sense of power to these pagan Romans that they're trying to convert as the, as the, the, the empire becomes Christian under Constantine, or at least it becomes officially uh, tolerated and then eventually becomes the religion of the empire. As that's going on, it would make sense to depict your heavenly beings that have power in a way that would convey the idea of power more readily to the pagans that you're trying to influence. When she says you actually can't tell the difference between an angel and a person in the earliest Christian iconography or the earliest Christian art, well, that's a problem, right? Because the purpose of art, especially, especially in the third and fourth and fifth century, when almost no one is literate. Yeah, Christianity is a, is a, is a, uh, a religion of the book. It's a religion of these writings that will come to form the Bible, but almost no one can read. This is a problem 
all the way up through much of, of the next thousand years that very, very, very few people can read. So the purpose of iconography, the, the purpose of images is how do you have, get someone to have a spiritual experience without their ability to read it? Clearly, people can be converted without reading. Porter Rockwell, who we'll talk about in some future uh, podcast, just to keep you coming back, um, <laughs> he is utterly illiterate. And I mean, he's not just kind of illiterate. When I, uh, He's not illiterate like Jonathan Hadley criticizing Joseph Smith, saying that he's illiterate because Joseph Smith has a hard time spelling any words right, including his own brother's name. I mean, Porter Rockwell can't write anything. When we have documents that Porter Rockwell signs, it is legitimately an X, like, like a cartoon. He signs an X and someone underneath it will write this X in behalf of Porter Rockwell. So he's completely illiterate, but he's absolutely certain Joseph Smith's prophet. Absolutely certain that the church is true, but is not educated enough to even be able to read. Now, that's, that's a, a much more rare thing in the 19th century. Most uh, a, a adult Americans are going to be literate to a certain degree. But, but in, the, you know, in the early ages of the Roman Empire, in what we would call, you know, sometimes called the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, the, the reality is almost no one can read. The, the reading is, is incredibly uh, expensive skill to acquire because you need a private tutor. There's not public schools. So images... Are, the, are part of the way that, that churches can convey a story. A, there's two ways, right? You can tell people the story. Let me tell you about Adam and Eve. And, but that requires me to be there to tell you about Adam and Eve. But if I can show you a stained glass image of Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden, well, having heard the story before in my head, I can see that image and know exactly what's going on because of the oral story that I've heard, even if I can't read. So images matter a lot. And you can see that if part of the way that you're going to be converting these previously pagan people into accepting Christianity as this most powerful religion, that's the reason why you're joining, because that God is the real God, the only actual God that depicting the heavenly ministers of that God in a way that is more and more powerful is a way of conveying power to that God. So it, it, it makes, makes a lot of sense to me, but also I thought it's a pretty interesting, you know, tidbit of historical information that, that at least in the earliest Christian images, the depictions of angels are far more like, uh, like, like Latter-day Saints will have, um, then perhaps, you know, Clarence getting his wings, uh, as he, as he, as he helps, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart, you know, come to the realization of, 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 of how important his life is. It's an, it's an interesting theology that we have when it comes to the afterlife in general. Uh, Brigham Young teaches that the spirit world is all around us, right? That, that this is the spirit world that, that, um, obviously people don't immediately gain all the light and knowledge when they die. That's the reason why we have people ministering to people in the spirit world and teaching them. And so it's somewhere in those, those vagaries of the different states that people are in before they come to earth after they've come to earth and before the resurrection that we have these different types of ministering spirits. It, it's probably not something you've thought of before and probably something you'll never think of again. In fact, <laughs> you'll probably say I've just wasted my life, but it is a very unique aspect of Latter-day Saint theology that because of Joseph Smith, because of his teachings and revelations, we don't think of angels as being separate from humans. We think of angels as being humans in a different state, essentially. Everyone is a spirit child of our Heavenly Father and in, in various different states. The, 
the idea that we can have these angelic manifestations, I think is, is a thrilling idea and something that I very much, uh, uh, it's one of the, one of the great aspects of belief, believing that we can have these visitations, these experience with angels that you can receive revelation in this way. Joseph certainly did, um, is something that I think we can all, we can all, uh, relate to. So I don't mean to kill any anyone's Christmas if they're putting that angel on top of their tree and it's got the giant angel wings so that you know that it's an angel. And that's exactly the point that's being made in that article, right? How do you know that the person on top of the tree is an angel? Well, because they have wings. Exactly. And 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 that is an image that's used to convey, convey instantly to someone, this is, this is an angelic being because they have wings. For Latter-day Saints, uh, since we believe angels are uh, the resurrected uh, spirits of, 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 of people who used to live on this earth, just like Moroni or, or Adam or, or Moses, when they're coming to return keys, then the wings aren't necessary. In fact, the power is conveyed in the glory of their resurrected body. As Joseph talks about the room being lit, lit up all around Moroni when he appears, that Power is already conveyed in the glory that represents them, not by whether or not you can see their wings. Anyway, hopefully this was an interesting uh, podcast for everybody. Uh, like I said, we're going to at some point uh, dive into some of these other issues. I know I keep saying that every episode, and I think that I'm just going to keep doing that. I, I think we're going <laughs> to compile a list of we, the things that we said we'll talk about but won't ever actually talk about. We have been called out by a good friend of ours, uh, Brady Peterson, brings this up again and again. He's like, are you even keeping track of the things you claim you're going to talk about? And I said, most certainly not. Even, not. not even close. Not yeah, actually. like most people who are trying to you know, deceive, we're just, we're just throwing out whatever whatever we can <laughs> in any moment that we can in order to get out of the situation but maybe we'll talk about Porter Rockwell maybe we'll talk about you know uh, you know at some point we might even talk about plural marriage uh, we will we will not okay we won't we won't ever do that because that would be a 95 part uh, podcast and that would only be the first day of talking <laughs> about plural marriage in uh, in Nauvoo but um, Hopefully everyone uh, gained something from this and uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.